disciples went into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the word of the Lord. Very good morning to all of you. The Lord be with you. Now we are into winter and some of you would welcome the cold season. Now as the cold brings with it the flu season, we pray that the Lord will be merciful and protect us from the flu. Uh, in the meantime, you get a flu shot if you have not got one yet. Now we thank God for those who have recovered from COVID and are back to full health. Uh, please continue to support are those who you know are in isolation. Now, you may have heard this story before. About 75 years ago, two brothers started a shoe business in their hometown. And somehow they split, and each brother went on to set up their own factory, their own shoe factory, uh, on the opposite side of the river that runs through the town. And the rivalry between the two brothers uh, became so bitter that it divided the entire town. And depending on which brother they supported, the town people had to decide which side of the river they would want to live and which pubs they went to and which butcher they patronized and which football club uh, they supported. And today, that rivalry continues uh, through the companies the two brothers had founded. You may have a preference for Adidas sportswear, or you may choose to buy Puma instead. Now, rivalry is expected in the business world, and it is common in the professional world as well. But should there be rivalry in Christian ministry, now, suppose a new gospel-centered church is planted in our neighborhood, and soon it begins to grow faster than us. 
and their pastor is a dynamic preacher, and more people are going to their services. So how do we respond to the success of the new church down the road? And if we are honest with ourselves, I think envy would be a natural response. We are likely to be a bit jealous that the other church is attracting more people. And that may cause us to step up our own program. And before long, we, we, we know that we are swept into a rivalry. And that may lead to resentment and even bitterness. And this cannot be good for us. And so how should we respond in the right way to the success of another gospel-centered church? And how can we give thanks to God for their success and avoid competitive um, uh, bitterness and resentment? And I think this is where I believe our study this morning will help us. We are at the last section of chapter 3 of John's Gospel. The Apostle John now tells us that Jesus and his disciples have moved out of Jerusalem and they have gone into the Judean countryside. And in the Judean countryside, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people. Now, John the Baptist happens to be also baptizing in the same countryside. And so there are two groups doing the same thing, administering the water of baptism. And this sets the stage for rivalry, especially when the disciples of John the Baptist are noticing that their master's ministry is being eclipsed by Jesus' ministry. And they have good reasons to be threatened. And soon, uh, things came to a head. Verse 25 tells us, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, we do not know the details of the argument, but it is possible that there are some people who want to drive a wedge between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples. And so they ask, well, whose baptism is greater? Is it John's or is it Jesus? And so John's disciples, of course, are, un are unhappy about this situation. And so they go to John and say to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now, you can sense the resentment in their voice. And there is some exaggeration in their statement because not everyone is going to Jesus. Some are still going to John, but his disciples are worried, worried for John as well as for themselves. And what will happen if everyone were to go to Jesus? Now, you can imagine, again, the emotional distress of John's disciples. What was once a flourishing ministry is now diminishing since the arrival of Jesus. And you can understand their anger and their resentment, all mixed up, which is a very human reaction. And of course, this presents a temptation to John himself. Now, if you were John, you may be thinking this. 
I have spent all these years in the wilderness, in self-denial, in loneliness, and just as I'm beginning to enjoy success in ministry, I see it suddenly fading away. And you may even hear an inner voice telling you to assert yourself, to reclaim your share of, the, of, of disciples, and build up your own ministry, because that is your identity. And this is the temptation facing <clears throat> many of us in ministry today. We worked hard to establish a ministry uh, that can easily become our identity. But sooner or later, there will be a new kid on the block and our own ministry will be eclipsed. And no matter how successful we are, a day will come when we have to take a lesser role or even retire. And we must know how to react in the right way. Now, even if you are not in ministry, you may face the same challenge. You face the same challenge in your workplace or in your profession or in your business. You will want to know how to react when your star is no longer rising but fading. You will want to know how to react when there is strong and stiff business competition. And you will want to know how to react when you are made redundant. So whether we are in ministry or in a workplace, we can learn three principles, three principles from John the Baptist as he replies, his, uh, he replies to his envious and discouraged uh, disciples. And these three principles are, one, our vocation, our vocation, our calling, our calling whether into ministry or into the workplace, our vocation is a gift from God. And two, our vocational role is like the role of the best man to the bridegroom. And three, Christ must become greater in our lives. Now, if we follow these three principles, we won't be drawn into any kind of unhealthy rivalry. Instead, we will be content. We will be content in our vocational lives. So let us look closely at each of these three principles. The first principle is that our vocation is a gift from God. Uh, look at verse uh, 27. <clears throat> Uh, John replied to his uh, disciples, to his disgruntled disciples, and he says, a man, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So John knows that there is nothing he has that he did not receive from God. And so if he has less followers than Jesus, that does not trouble him. So likewise, we do well to know that every talent, every gift, every opportunity, every blessing, and every success is from God. If someone is more articulate than I, if someone is more successful in ministry than I, Scripture reminds me that a person can receive only 
what is given them from heaven. So there is nothing to feel jealous about. So this is the right principle to live by in ministry. And it prevents us from being envious. It prevents us from being covetous of other pastors who may have a bigger ministry or they may have a bigger, a better pay, a better house, or a happier family. Now, all these blessings are provided for by our good Father in heaven. So a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So this is also the principle to assess our own success, not only in ministry, but in life, life in general. So when we are flourishing in our work or when we are flourishing in our business, we must avoid the tendency to attribute our success to our hard work or our skill or our intelligence. Now, if we give in to this tendency, we will become proud and we will become arrogant. But if we remember that a person can receive only what is given him from heaven, we will be humble. And we will be grateful to God. And we will use our gifts and our success for the good of others and for the glory of God. So it is very important that we acknowledge that God is sovereign and that in His sovereignty, He bestows gifts and abilities and blessings to everyone, each according to His good purpose. So we don't have to be in competition. We don't have to uh, keep up with the Joneses. And we don't have to eat sour grapes. Instead, we can rejoice. We can rejoice with those who are successful, with those who are flourishing. And when we rejoice at the blessings God bestows on others, it frees us from discontentment. It frees us from bitterness. It frees us from covetousness. It frees us from insecurity. And we are then able to find joy and contentment in the vocation God has given us. So that's the first principle, to remain content in our vocation. The second principle is to see our role as that of a best man to the bridegroom. So John the Baptist says in verse 29, uh, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So the friend of the bridegroom here refers to the best man. Uh, today, the best man has the duty of making sure the wedding rings are handed to the celebrant as the wedding couple exchange their vows and exchange their rings. But back in ancient times, the best man in a Jewish wedding has one special duty. And that duty is to guard the door to the bridal chamber and let know and prevent any false lover uh, from getting in. So at the end of the wedding day, as darkness falls, the best man would stand at the door and he would wait to hear the bridegroom's voice. And when he recognizes the bridegroom's voice, that is the moment 
he would open the door. And then the best man would go away rejoicing for his task is complete. And so John says that he is that best man. And he recognizes the voice of Jesus as the Messiah. And he opens the door for the Messiah to see his bride. And of course, his bride is the people of God, the people of God. And John has been successfully preparing the people of God to receive the Messiah, to receive Jesus. And John has seen that his job is now done. And his joy is complete. So in the same way, the church is the bride. The church belongs to Jesus. And pastors and church leaders are to point, or rather to prepare the people and point the people of God only to Jesus and receive him and be faithful to Jesus. Sadly, some pastors think that the church belongs to them because they started the church. And so they act like they are the bridegroom entitled to exploit the church. And sadly, these are the ones, these are the pastors uh, who have given the church a bad name. But faithful pastors like John the Baptist see themselves as the best men. And our role is to point our members, to prepare our members to receive Jesus. We are to point our members away from ourselves to Jesus. And we are to teach the people of God not to primarily devote themselves to a denomination or to a particular church building, but to Christ. And our joy is complete when we hear the words of Jesus from the mouths of our church members. When I hear you people discuss how you want to apply the gospel to everyday life at work and at home, I'm glad. And I'm glad when I hear you sharing the gospel with your family and your friends. And my joy is complete because I know that you are true to Christ. You are devoted to Jesus and you want to do all things to please him just like a bride would want to do all things to please the bridegroom. Now, even if you are not in ministry, you can use your vocation to point your colleagues to Jesus. And you can also encourage other Christians in your workplace to be true to Jesus. Always remember that God is using your career to bring the gospel to places that may not have heard of it. You may be bored in your old job or in your job, but God may want you to be there to encourage a fellow Christian in your workplace. And if you are going to a new job, do look for opportunities to point people to Jesus. 
So whether in old or new job, God is using your vocation to serve as best man to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the third principle for us to be content in our vocation is to exalt Christ always. Uh, look at verse 30. John says, he, referring to Christ, to Jesus, he must become greater. I must become less. So John ends his conversation with his disciples with those words. John is happy to see more people going to Jesus because that is his task. John's joy is complete when he sees Jesus exalted. Now, in the same way, in ministry, the pastor's primary task is to exalt Jesus. The pastor's task is not to grow the church in numbers as quickly as possible. And we must avoid that tendency to try to be celebrity pastors with large congregations because that would be exalting ourselves. We are not to exalt ourselves, but we are to exalt Jesus as Lord and God. And the way to exalt Jesus is to turn the people in the church into deep disciples. Turn the people in church into deep disciples. And these disciples are people who are mature in their faith. They live out the gospel and they walk the talk. And when we walk the talk, we exalt Jesus. So church is not about the pastor. Church is not about you. It is about Jesus. About Jesus becoming greater in each of our lives. It is about exalting Jesus, allowing him to be first in our lives. When we willingly submit to his will, when we serve him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And that is how we exalt Jesus. So at TGCC, we want to be a church that makes Jesus greater, become greater in the lives of all of you. And we want everyone to grow in the knowledge of God and to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want Christ to become number one in your life. So why should we want Christ to become greater? And why should we want to exalt Jesus? That's the question we need to ask next. And the Apostle John gives us the reasons. And he gives us three reasons. First, it's because Jesus is the heavenly man. All of us, all of us, the rest of us are from the earth. Look at verse 31. And this is the Apostle John now saying, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The, the one who comes from heaven is above all. Now John the Baptist recognized that Jesus is from heaven. And that was why he, he saw that it was his great privilege 
to prepare the way for Jesus to begin his ministry. And he had no problem fading away to allow Jesus to take center stage. So likewise, we must make way for Jesus to take center stage in our ministries and for Jesus to take center stage in our lives. So our gathering on Sundays and at every Bible study uh, must always be about Jesus. We want him to be first in our lives. We want to train our hearts and our minds to obey Jesus, to love Jesus and please him in all that we do. And Jesus deserves our worship because he is not only from heaven, he is also God. And this is the second reason why Jesus must become greater. And in verse 34, we read, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. So Jesus here is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he speaks the words of God. So what Jesus says, God says. And to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. And God has given all authority to Jesus. Look at verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything, everything, all authority in the hands of Jesus. So all authority has been placed in Jesus' hands. And this includes our salvation. And this leads us to the third reason why Jesus must become greater. Jesus holds the key to the salvation of all mankind. And John says in 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So again, we are reminded that all people are under God's judgment because everyone is born in sin and will die in sin unless they believe in Jesus the Messiah the Son of God. And Jesus is the only person who can save us. And as the Apostle Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And Jesus is the only one who can save us is because by his death, Jesus died the death our sin deserved. And by his resurrection, Jesus gives us the eternal life that we don't deserve. So this is the good news for all of us, that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life and will not be facing God's wrath. And the church has been given this joyful responsibility to proclaim the good news. So, all Christians, all of us, are in the ministry of saving people, in the ministry of transferring people from the kingdom of, kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And in the ministry of saving people, there is no place for rivalry, 
There's no place for rivalry between Christians or between churches. And there's no place for envy or resentment. And so if our church is not getting bigger than another church, uh, we, we don't resent. We don't become bitter. Because God has given every church the gifts to make Jesus become greater. So whenever another church exalts Jesus, we will rejoice with that church and we will want to partner with them so that when our church also exalts Jesus, we will rejoice all the more. For then our joy is complete when the name of Jesus is proclaimed above all other names. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this text in your word that helps us remove all unhealthy rivalry between Christians and churches. It teaches us to be in partnership for the gospel. May we at TGCC be faithful in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ so that more people will be added into the kingdom. Grant us the opportunities and the boldness to share the truths about Jesus with our families and friends. And please use our words and our deeds to bring glory to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and keep exalting.